Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. We're continuing in our Luke series. We began all the way back in Advent, back in November. And we are continuing to walk through. Uh, for some, maybe it seems like we're running through it, but we are, we are walking through the book of Luke, seeing this journey that we are all invited to be on. And today, I'm just going to throw this up front. The, the main question today that we're asking is, are we hypocrites? Are we hypocrites? Now, uh, when you hear this question, you might, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be... This is going to be a tough one. This is going to be what's he got in store for? And I was, I was joking earlier this morning. I feel like whenever I get up here, I just come up with a sledgehammer. And, I, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be another one where I'm like, oh. But there's good news. With every, with every slam of the sledgehammer, with every hard truth, there is an amazing piece of good news. So I hope you'll stick with me. And just to give you a quick uh, shortcut to the sermon, the answer is Yes. Are we hypocrites? Yes. We are all hypocrites in some form or fashion. So if immediately when you saw the question you got defensive, you're like, of course not. No, no, no. Hold on. Stick with me. We are all hypocrites to a certain extent. You know, as we are walking through the book of Luke, at the beginning of Advent, we saw how amazing it was where Christ, or God rather, God the Father, he is including everybody in his plan of redemption and reconciliation for the world. The lowly, the elderly, the insignificant, the inexperienced, everybody is included in the plan of God. And then after Advent, we started into chapters 2 through 9. And in these chapters, we see how we're introduced to Jesus. And he's doing these amazing things. He's performing miracles. He's teaching paradigm-shifting truths. This knocking people off their feet. And everyone's saying, this is amazing. We want to be with this guy. This guy, he, he's doing things out of this world. And we're introduced to who Jesus is. And we're, we're told, even by Peter... That Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Christ that came for you and for me. And in chapters 2 through 9, we're like, wow, this is a lot of fun. This is exhilarating. Man, this guy, Jesus, he, uh, he, he's challenging. He's, he's intriguing. This is good. I want to be with this guy. I'm going to follow him. But then in chapter 9, we see something shift. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. When Peter claims, when Peter makes this proclamation, Jesus is the Messiah, something changes. And the author, Luke, he tells us how in chapter 9, Jesus has now set his eyes on Jerusalem. And it's interesting because we know that Jesus, he took multiple trips to Jerusalem. But in the case of Luke, the theme that he's going after is that he tells us of this one time that Luke or Jesus sets his eyes on heading towards Jerusalem. So from here on out, for the next several chapters, and starting in chapter 9, it's no longer about learning who Jesus is and what he wants for you and for me. It's about understanding that there is a cost to following Jesus. 
And at the end of it all, unless we are willing to give up everything in this world, we can truly never gain anything that God would have for us. So the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they've been walking with him for chapters 2 through 9. And now it comes down to their decision. What will they do? Is the cost too great or is it worth it? But a part of this is understanding this question. Are we hypocrites? Because here's what's interesting about Jesus' ministry. As Jesus is preaching to the world and as he's welcoming sinners into his, his following, what we begin to understand is that Jesus was actually not trying to fix the outside world. He wasn't trying to overtake the government. He wasn't trying to change everything that society had created. He was trying to change the inside culture. The culture, if you will, of the church. Now, the church didn't exist at this point in time, but for all intents and purposes, he was trying to change the culture of the church. Now, this isn't to say that as Christians that we shouldn't be living in society trying to make our country as, as uh, compatible as possible for us to live in, but what we need to realize is that we need, we need to make the same priority that Jesus made. If Jesus didn't make it his priority to overtake the government, to make everything right, and to every whatever then you and I should not have it as our priority to make America the way we want it or to make it easier for you and me to live into. Is it okay to have that? Absolutely. But if that's our top priority, then we are completely missing the picture because in doing so, we are only concentrating on the physical and not the spiritual. And this is what Jesus is doing. You see, we talk as humans, as Christians, about having this eternal perspective. And that's great. It's biblical to have this eternal perspective, to have the end in mind. But what we forget is that in having an eternal perspective, so often it keeps us concentrated on the physical. Because as we're walking through bad days or tough times or terrible seasons, we often think to ourselves, okay, eternal perspective, okay, it will be over eventually. It will be done soon. I will get through this eventually. And this train of thought, this way of thinking, it only keeps us focused on the physical. We say, yes, it's eternal because of what is yet to come. But in doing so, we are only focused on our circumstances. The thing about it is that Christ caused us to so much more. Because what we begin to realize is that in having a spiritual perspective is what leads us to having a true eternal perspective. Because the fact is this, that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we accept the invitation to join in on ministry with him, we get to begin to experience eternity in the present. We don't have to simply wait till the end. We don't have to simply grunt our way through life. We don't have to simply bear our way, concentrating only on the physical until, okay, finally I can get to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus says at this moment in time, if you'd have focus on me, if you'd have faith in me, I can grant you hope, love, joy, and peace that are no longer dependent on the physical circumstances of your life. But so often as Christians, as humans, we say, okay, I have an eternal perspective, but we experience no peace, love, hope, or joy in the middle of what we walk through. And Christ is saying, no, 
there is so much more for you. Because let's be honest, what's, what's more impactful? What's more impactful than being able to walk through a tough season, a terrible season of life, and still say, God is good? What's more impactful than being able to walk through this terrible time of your life and still experience the peace, love, joy, and hope of God? Because if God can't grant us peace and love and hope and joy in the bad times, then how big is our God? It's so much more than simply having an eternal perspective, but accepting the fact that there is a spiritual reality that Jesus is inviting us all to experience in the present. So that we don't have to simply keep on waiting and waiting and waiting. Because when we accept a spiritual reality, our very lives become testimonies to the world around us. Jesus didn't come to fix the world so that the church could more easily live in it. Jesus came to fix the church so that the world would see his magnificence through us. But in order to do so, he must remove any concept, any philosophy, anything of the world from the church so that he would be most glorified. But as Christians today, we become so focused on our daily circumstances, on the good and the bad, the high and the low, and in doing so, we are no different than the world around us. And so we ask the question, are we hypocrites? We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12 in the first 12 verses. But right before Luke chapter 12, here's what we see. We see Jesus looking not at the Romans, not at the empire that surrounded them, not at the rulers, the political leaders of the day. He looks at the religious leaders. He looks at the ones that are supposed to be leading people in worship, leading people to glorifying God, leading people to find that love, joy, peace, and patience and, and the fruits of the Spirit. He looks at these leaders and he says to them, woe is you. Woe is you. Woe is you. Again, not at the outside world. But inside the culture that was supposed to be worshiping and glorifying God. And so we come today to Luke chapter 12. And after he has rebuked the Pharisees. After he's gone through what would seem to be a whole bunch of insults towards the Pharisees. He now focuses attention on his disciples. And this is where we come. Luke chapter 12 starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. It's important for us to first realize, Jesus isn't saying, hey, beware of the Pharisees. So often it's easy as we read through the New Testament to just uh, insult and, and bog down on the Pharisees. But Jesus isn't saying beware of the Pharisees. He isn't, he isn't saying be, beware of the religious leaders. 
He's saying, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of hypocrisy. And I would make the argument of this. He isn't saying, hey, be on your guard against what the Pharisees are doing or how they're acting. He's saying, look, beware lest you become like the Pharisees. Beware that you too be on guard against hypocrisy in your own life. What we know about yeast is this, that all throughout the New Testament, when yeast is talked about, leaven in some translations, it's regarded as evil. And we learn from another piece of scripture that when it just takes a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven, to go a long way in dough. To make, to impact the nature of the bread. And Jesus says to the disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, lest, I believe, you too will become like them. What's interesting is this. We say, well, the Pharisees, how are they hypocritical? In fact, they're living out the law of God almost perfectly. Everything externally looks right there on point. They seem to have, they've memorized the Bible of that time. They've memorized the law. They know every to-do and they're following it almost to a T. How in the world are the Pharisees hypocritical? Shouldn't we be following in their own footsteps? Shouldn't we too follow the laws as well as they have? But you see, in following the law and having every little piece of their life look just right, to those around them, they're missing a very crucial piece. Their hearts were never for God. What we see all throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, what we see is that yes, the Pharisees had these wives where they they lived by every single rule, they did it perfectly each and every day, but their hearts were never for God. Their hearts were only concentrated on rising up in their own, quote-unquote, kingdoms. They loved the rules because by the rules, they were seen as great. They loved the law. They loved the Bible because through the law, through the Bible, they were able to crush everybody else around them and raise themselves up to look magnificent, to look great, to look superb. You see, their hearts were never quite in it. They were supposed to be leading people to experience God, to find freedom in God. But meanwhile, they were imprisoning them by having this to-do list saying, do this, do this, do this. And unless you do this, you can never be as great as me. The Pharisees are hypocritical. Not because they followed every rule to the T, but because they claimed one thing. They claimed to be messengers of God, all the while imprisoning everybody behind them. They claimed to have God in their foresight, but in reality, they only had the physical kingdom of their earthly circumstances before them. They were only concentrated on preserving their good life because they were living, quote-unquote, the good life. They had everything, power, money, significance. They weren't concerned about the kingdom of God because they were only concentrated on their physical kingdom, how they could preserve it for themselves. And Jesus says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
Do not claim to follow me. Do not claim to be worried about the matters of the kingdom of God when all the while you are just imprisoning those around you, when all the while you are only concentrated on the physical circumstances of your life. When we are only concentrated on the physical circumstances of our life, we become no different than the Pharisees. When we are only concentrated on the physical circumstances of our life, we are exposed we're told, hey, everything, everything that you do, it will be shown in the daylight. It will be proclaimed throughout the earth. You will see it and yourself be told to everybody. We see this in our daily lives. How often do we have a bad day? And we let that bad day affect us so much so that even our interactions with people around us then change because of that bad day. When things don't go our way, we let that determine then how we talk, how we act, how, what we do with our family members, our coworkers, our peers, our friends. And so when all of these people who believe that you are following after God, that we are following after God, who we claim is almighty and all sovereign and all just and all loving, and that he's going to protect and care for us, when they see that we are then becoming dictated by our physical circumstances, they are then saying, well, how great is that God? Because he, they say he's all good, but man, the way they're acting, that one bad day, that really... I really tripped them up a little bit. How good could their God be? How big could God be if he can't even conquer the physical circumstances of this life? We say we worship and have faith in a sovereign and good creator, but when we lose our cool because things aren't working out the way we hoped, we demonstrate that we, in fact, are no different than the Pharisees. We make ourselves out to be hypocrites. We embody the very thing that Christ says to guard against. We become no different than the world around us. Are we, are you, am I, are we hypocrites? And if your immediate answer, if you were sitting there saying, of course I'm not, guess what? I'm pretty certain the Pharisees would have said the same thing. Are we hypocrites? And Jesus says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Friends, maybe in your life right now, you can't think of anything in particular at this moment in which you may be hypocritical. But are you at least open to recognizing that there is potential for hypocrisy in your life? Day to day, week by week, month by month, where do you find weakness? Where do you fall short? Where do the bad days affect you so much that when you walk out the doors, you're like, I can't deal with this anymore? And hear me out. I'm not saying that we're not allowed to have bad days. I'm not saying that as Christians, we're not allowed to experience sadness or pain or stress. It's what we do with that that then demonstrates to the rest of the world who our priority is. Are we only focused on our physical kingdom preserving our good days, or are we focusing on the spiritual reality that God is good and great and loves us and has something so much greater in store for us? Can we at least admit that there is potential for hypocrisy in each and every one of our lives? Even in this past week, as I was wrestling through this, I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not hypocritical. I can't be hypocritical. I'm a pastor. 
Can't be hypocritical. Can't afford to be hypocritical. And even in worship today, I too admit that I get distracted thinking about the week ahead, thinking about what happened last week, thinking about what's going on for the rest of the day. And I realize that even in worship, I lose concentration of who I claim to be my number one priority. And I showed myself that there is potential for hypocrisy. Are we hypocrites? And this is what Jesus is saying to warn against. Be on guard against how it will rule your life. How it will become the very message you proclaim to the world. And he continues then in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, I'd like to do something real quick. I saw a pastor do this once, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll try this out. I want to try this out. I want to paraphrase the first portion of this scripture here to say this. Stop allowing your daily physical circumstances dictate the quality of your life. Your physical life can do no more than kill you. Huh. Well, that's not very good news. I'm reading that, and I'm like, maybe I paraphrased this wrong. (laughs) Maybe I read this incorrectly. Stop allowing your physical circumstances to dictate the quality of your life. Your physical life can do no more than kill you. Amen. Praise God. We're thinking to ourselves, wait a minute. This should be the very thing that does cause me stress. That does cause me anxiety. If it can kill me, then I'm worried about it. And Jesus says, no. Stop. Stop fearing the things that can only kill you. Because I'm telling you, there is something more than death. There is something worse than death. But the fact remains is that for you and for me, we get so hyper-focused on preserving our physical circumstances to make it the very best for our lives day in and day out that it becomes the very thing that we say, no, 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 we got to protect it. And we focus more on that than we do the spiritual reality that there is a God who values us more and more and more than we can possibly comprehend or imagine. I want to paraphrase the rest of it then. Saying this, allow the spiritual reality, this is Jesus speaking, allow the spiritual reality that I am inviting you into dictate your worries, your stresses, and your anxieties. Because in death, there is more, either eternal life or eternal death. Do you not see that when you enter into the spiritual reality that I'm calling you, your identity, your nature, it changes, and you have inexplicable value in the eyes of the one who would welcome you into eternal life. But if you refuse the one who would give you eternal life, then his justice requires you 
to have eternal death. You see, friends, what we fear is what ultimately dictates our life. And when we fear our physical circumstances, we become obsessed with our physical circumstances. We have this physical perspective. Yes, we say we might have an eternal perspective. Yes, heaven is my future. And we say yes and amen. But as we're saying heaven is our future, we're bogged down by the pressures and the weights and the anxieties and the worries, and we can barely make it through our day. But we say heaven is our future. And I'm saying God wants so much more for our lives than simply to get through each and every day saying, oh, I made it one more day. He wants us to experience him and him alone, his peace, his love, his joy. We claim all of this during Advent, but how quickly we forget. It's only February, people. We spent five weeks declaring the goodness of God in preparation for Christmas, and so soon we forget that God has something so much more for us day in and day out. We don't simply have to wait to the future, but we begin to experience pieces of heaven here on earth. Because when we fear what Jesus says, when we fear God, we fear the entity, the being that is all merciful, that is all just, that is all loving, that is all gracious, that is all sovereign. And when we fear him, our identity becomes enveloped by him. And yes, we still have bad days. Yes, we have terrible seasons. Yes, we walk through pain and confusion and we wonder how in the world are we going to make it through it. But it's when our identity rests in the spiritual reality. When we have the spiritual perspective to say God is good. When we have the spiritual perspective, all of a sudden we have the power in the middle of the circumstances say, God is good. It is the spiritual reality. It is the spiritual reality that allows men who are being led to execution because of their faith to sing hymns and praises out to God. It is the spiritual reality that when, when a man loses almost his entire family due to a shipwreck, he is able to write the words, it is well with my soul. It is the spiritual reality that when we begin to envelop and become, the, when we realize the idea of our identity resting in God, that a young couple, husband and wife, give birth to the newborn son only to have him pass hours later, get to cry out and say, God is good. And it's this message that then the rest of the world sees. And they see a God who is bigger than the physical circumstances. They see a God who provides hope and peace and love and joy, no longer dependent on the physical circumstances. But a rest that is eternal and that Christ is inviting each and every one of us into today. Christ says, do not fear the physical, the things that will, at max, only kill you. Begin to place your identity. Find your identity in the spiritual reality that I have brought to this world. Because don't you see, don't you see, you have so much value. 
in the eyes of God. And if we have so much value in the eyes of God, what more could we possibly need? But Christ says, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Because right now there is defensiveness. You might be saying, Justin, you have no idea what I've been walking through. You have no idea the season. You have no idea the turmoil. You have no idea what I've been walking How dare you tell me to have a spiritual perspective when you have no idea what I've been walking through. Friends, I, I'm not sorry for this. These are the words of Christ and Christ alone. Do not fear the things that can only kill you. Friends, I, I, I exhort you, I beckon you, come discover the peace, the love, the hope, the joy that only God could give, that only God could provide. But it's in our flesh, it's in our human nature that drives us to protect our physical circumstances, to make logic of it all, to keep on fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And Christ says, stop. Because you have value in the eyes of God. So we continue. Verse 8. As he closes this portion of scripture, Luke goes on to quote the words of Christ. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the son of man, will also... Sorry. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. I'm going to stop there just for a half second. I... I go back to the, to the analogy that I used a few weeks ago. You know, it's easy for so many of us to say, yep, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I go to church every single Sunday. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. We proclaim it with our mouth. But the fact is this. As God is over here, we walk this way saying, yep, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Because it's the culture of our day. It's so easy. Because it means nothing to so many. I'm a Christian. I live morally. I live upright. Therefore, I'm a Christian. And I say, no, you are no different than the Pharisees. Because as the Pharisees were, declaiming, were, were proclaiming, yes, I'm a messenger of God, they are walking this way, away from God. And so when we read, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge. But whoever disowns me before others will also be disowned. I urge you, what does your life look like? What does your life look like? It's one thing to be walking away from God and saying it. But friends, I'm telling you, if you are walking towards God, if you are demonstrating, if you are pursuing God with everything in your heart, it will be inevitable that you automatically start talking about it. But we've emphasized as long as we're saying it, then we're good. As long as it's coming out of our mouth, then we're good. Christ is like, no, 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 no. How are you actually acknowledging me with your life? How are you actually demonstrating to the world around you who I am in your life? But see, when we become so focused on the physical and let the physical dictate how we then live, we are then walking away from God and we are demonstrating to the world that God isn't our number one priority, no matter how much or how loud we yell it. Then we come to verse 10. 
And this is where things get pretty confusing. Verse 10, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is what is so often called the unforgivable sin. You know, when I was in second grade, or when I was super young, you know, I hear about the unforgivable sin. You know, grow up in church, you hear terms like that thrown around. And I'm sitting there in bed thinking, okay, what is the unforgivable sin? And did I commit it? Oh, boy. Friends, I'm here to tell you, you cannot accidentally blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. If, <laughs> but we, there is no action, no deed, no word said here on earth that can separate us from the love of God. Be encouraged by that. But here's what this means. There are multiple theories, but as we walk through this piece of scripture, here's what we can discern from this. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Son of Man will be forgiven. Yes and amen. There are plenty of people who, in a previous life, they would insult and disown. They would bog down on Christians and Christ. So, look at the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And yet he too found freedom in him. But when it comes to blaspheming the Holy Spirit, we can only assume then that it means someone is continually walking away from God. When we walk away from God, when we reject the Holy Spirit, we are incorrectly, we are improperly associating incorrect characteristics to God. Because we are then saying that as we are pursuing something else, that this thing has what we are looking for, has true freedom, and that God doesn't. And by pursuing all of these things, we then we inappropriately say to God, nope, you have nothing for me. And so when we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it means that we are persistently rejecting God into death. And as we enter into death, there is no more chances. There are no more chances. There is not a second choice. You have made your final decision. And Jesus is saying, look, if you persistently, if you continually accept that the physical circumstances are your own kingdom and walk away from God, if all you have in mind is your physical kingdom to raise yourself up on earth, you will persistently reject the Holy Spirit, blaspheme against him, and you will be lost in eternity forever and ever. But here's where it gets really cool. Verse 11, when you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Now, friends, none of us are going to be, none of us are being brought before the synagogues. None of us are being brought forth to the religious leaders to defend our faith or anything of this nature. But friends, here's what we can take away from this. In the same way that everything else has been, we can understand that yes, we may not face these same trials, but we will face trials no less. We will face struggles no less. We will walk through seasons of life that seem so tumultuous that there is no possible way we will ever get through them. And what happens is that when you and I have a spiritual perspective in today, not simply an eternal perspective, but a, phys a spiritual perspective today, the Holy Spirit grants a rest that is no longer dependent on our physical circumstances. 
It says here, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time. Friends, we so badly, we want the answers for tomorrow. We want the answers for next week. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? No, 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 no. That's not relying on God. Jesus is saying, look, in that day, when that time comes, when you cross that bridge, the Holy Spirit will be with you. And he will grant you what you need in that time, that hope, that love, that peace, that joy. Even for the men who, as they were being led to execution, they too found the peace of God, just as Jesus had promised. But notice what they didn't have. Their physical circumstances weren't working out for them. They're at the bottom of the bottom. But Jesus says, do not fear that which can only kill you, because there is so much more. Those men being led into execution, the couple who lost their son just after a few hours, they in many ways had experienced and discovered a freedom that so many of us have yet to discover. The freedom to experience God in a dark, dark season. This, my friends, this, my friends, is what is proclaimed to the world and then when the, when the world sees a church that has the world removed from it, when the world sees a church that is no longer concentrated on the physical circumstances of this world, the world then sees the magnificence of Christ and says, I want that. How are your lives demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God? Are we hypocrites? Absolutely. But there is rest available to each and every one of us to experience the present reality of eternity. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you and we praise you. We give you all the glory. Father, I pray that you'd give us the perseverance and the courage and the foresight to see you above all else that we would begin to enter, that we would accept the invitation to live into your spiritual reality. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these individuals out here right now, that when they walk out these doors, they would understand. They would understand how much value they have in your eyes. That they would understand that this physical world has nothing on them. That there is nothing that can separate them from your love. Lord, may your hand of protection be upon them. May your shield before them. Lord, we pray all of this through the power of your Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, would you stand with me as we close with the saying of the confession of the sinner that we did last week? Let us read together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen, amen, amen. Be blessed. Be blessed and recognize the potential of hypocrisy and find freedom beyond it. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. 
For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnas.org. Have a great week.